This is Inside Asia, and I'm your host, Jason Abbott. I'm joined today by University of Louisville's Paul Weber Chair of Political Science and Religion, Professor David Buckley, who, among other things, is an expert in uh, the politics of the Philippines. And so today, what we're going to discuss uh, is the outcome of uh, a very interesting election uh, in the Philippines, and not just the presidential election, but also elections for the Senate, Congress, and local elections as well, I believe. Sure, yeah. Um, now, um, some of the media has uh, already drawn parallels between the winner of this presidential election and Donald Trump over here in the United States. The, the winner of the presidential election in the Philippines uh, is Rodrigo Duterte, uh, who among other things has been nicknamed the Punisher. So, Dave, tell us something about uh, Duterte and whether this comparison with Trump is is anything meaningful. Sure. Um, well, it, it's not the world's worst comparison. I mean, they're both sort of populist candidates who, um, who, who've built reputations around tough talk and, uh, and being willing to uh, horribly offend large portions of the population uh, to tell it like it is, so to speak. Um, but the major difference is that, that Duterte is, is someone who's actually walked the walk that Trump has talked in the United States. Um, he's, he's a longtime mayor of a major city. He's somebody with extensive governing experience, um, someone who knows not only how to, um, to operate governmental institutions very um, effectively, but also to work outside of those institutions very effectively. Um, he was the mayor of Davao City, which is the largest city on the island of Mindanao um, for, uh, for two decades or so. Um, and during that time, um, depending on your point of view, um, two things were true simultaneously. He, he, correspond, he governed the city at a time of, um, of increasing law and order, um, of increasingly um, safe streets, um, but also at a time in which um, death squads under his direction um, were responsible for the summary execution and extrajudicial justice um, meted out um, to uh, more than likely uh, over 1,500 individuals within the city. So those are the two sides to the story. And indeed, during the election campaign, I believe he pledged to um, introduce the policy of extrajudicial killings. If elected president, he, he talked or boasted of um, killing tens of thousands of criminals if elected. Yeah, I mean, one of the great frustrations, I think, of um, the, the, the average Filipino is that um, outside of, of Davao, especially in Metro Manila, but not only, day-to-day um, -day criminality is really a, a fact of life, especially in a lot of low-income areas. Um, and so this, this tough message of getting tough on crime, working outside of the justice system, um, you know, it really does resonate to an extent, especially with, um, with, with lower socioeconomic status individuals within um, the big metro areas. And so, um, so the talk has been of bringing this model to the national level. We'll see what that actually means in practice now that the election is over. Uh, I mean, there have been concerns expressed by um, several of the leading the other leading candidates for the presidency and, and also by the, uh, the outgoing president, uh, Aquino, that these policies could significantly undermine civil rights and human rights in the country. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there, there are sort of two sets of concerns. One is about the, the impact of, um, uh, of, of President Duterte's or incoming President Duterte's policies on uh, human rights for your average Filipino. Um, and um, 
human rights organizations, both international and within uh, the Philippines, have, have carefully documented the violations of human rights uh, in Davao under his rule. Um, and, uh, and there are serious concerns that those kinds of violations could also now be expanded throughout the country. Um, the, the second set of concerns is a broader set of concerns about what this election might mean for the, uh, for the future of democracy in the Philippines. Um, and, and the very real concern um, that, uh, that, that the relatively um, weakly consolidated democratic institutions in the Philippines might be open to, um, to, uh, to, in the worst case scenario, another period of martial law, um, which, is, which is still in the memory of, of older Filipinos in particular. Now, on that note, um, I believe that Duterte himself has called for an overhaul of the country's political system, um, including a constitutional convention and a suggestion that he supports moving towards a federal parliamentary system, which apparently has a lot of support in the country. Yeah, there is. Um, th- there's widespread support, especially outside of Metro Manila, for um, devolution of power. This is probably most obviously the case in Mindanao, um, especially in um, Muslim-majority areas of, of the island of Mindanao. Um, but much more broadly, there is a sense that over time, the, the Metro Manila megalopolis has consolidated more and more political, economic, and social power, um, and that this has worked to the disadvantage not just of Mindanao, um, but also of, um, of, of really heavily populated areas um, in parts of the country. Um, uh, like the Visayas and, and cities like Cebu and things like that. So, so there's, there is a real resonance for that part of his governance reform message and federalism. Um, the broader message of um, calling a new constitutional convention to broadly rewrite the balance of powers between branches of government and things like that, I think really does frighten um, particularly the political elites in the country. Um, that, that brings me to uh, um, my next point, um, the, the role of elites in the Philippines. Um, and just to go back to the sort of Trump comparison, you know, one of the things that's been pointed out or one of the things that's been highlighted about the rise of Donald Trump is the extent to which he has um, upturned the, 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 the control of the Republican Party by um, its dominant elites. And, and here again in the Philippines, we see a candidate um, coming to power fundamentally... Um, Challenging the, the role and dominance of, of elites in the Philippines. I mean, I mean, this really has this election result really was a a major blow to those elite families, was it not? Yeah, I think that's basically right. Um, one of the differences, obviously, in um, in uh, Philippine politics is that the, the role of political parties is much weaker. So, in some ways, the uh, there were no he wasn't working against internal party elites in the same way that Trump has. Um, but with that said, he was absolutely working against. Um, more um, consolidated party elites um, tied to the Liberal Party and to, to the Aquino family, as well as others um, who would, at the national level, be much more uh, um, uh, both economically and politically well-established. Um, it's also worth noting that the, um, if the political and the economic elite of the country were very uneasy with um, Duterte's campaign, um, the, the Catholic religious elite also were too. And, and again, um, you had in the in the uh, weeks leading up to the election fairly explicit, although um, without being said so much in so many words, um, warnings from leaders of the Catholic Church around the country, including in um, parts of Mindanao, um, to to essentially not vote for Duterte, um, and and none of that did anything to stem the tide. If anything, his campaign seemed to be gaining momentum in the closing days of the campaign, not losing it. Uh, and I believe he also actually directly insulted. 
Pope Francis in the campaign. Absolutely. Well, in particular, and this is something, again, where a lot of Filipinos would have a certain amount of sympathy. He insulted the amount of traffic that his visits brought to, <laughs> to the Philippines. Um, and so this is actually the game that, you know, um, there are serious sort of ethical and moral concerns about what his election could mean for the Philippines. So it's not something to make light of. Um, but it is important to understand that frequently his more outrageous comments are rooted in something that I think your average Filipinos do sympathize with, right? So the idea that you want to call the Pope a son of a bad word is not, uh, is not something that your average Filipino is going to have a lot of time for. Um, but the point was, these elites, they always get in our way, the traffic is so bad, but they cut through it, they make it so bad for the rest of us, and that sort of thing does actually resonate much more broadly. Um, so, yeah, that's the, that's the backstory on those, on those comments. He's no favorite of the Catholic Bishops' Conference of the Philippines. Um, we'll see what, um, what, what their relationship turns into now that it has to develop into a more working relationship. Now, a year or so ago, the favorite to win the election um, was Grace Poe, and, um, and her campaign seems to have spectacularly gone, gone awry. Um, what went wrong? It's an interesting question. Um, on the one hand, I think that um, one of the things that sometimes, anyway, people complain about uh, 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 candidates in the Philippines is that they're not substantive enough, that they're only celebrities, that celebrity wins elections, um, and that this is a, a weakness of, of democracy in the Philippines. Well, in that sense, um, her campaign sort of sputtering out might not be an entirely bad thing. I mean, she, has the, she had a, a weaker governance record than any of the other leading candidates. Now, she had some political experience, but it was all very recent. Um, and she's a clear representative of sort of the, the familial dynasties that, that dominate the Philippine politics. Um, so I think that, that to an extent that um, there wasn't enough substance there to excite, um, let's say, the Aquino coalition, right? a coalition that also was dedicated to its own candidate and who and so was never going to get uh, firmly behind her. Um, I think there were also a series of um, scandals, is not quite the right word, but, um, but questions about her eligibility based on her birth and, and, um, and, and citizenship and all that, that that maybe did accumulate a bit and made it so that she could never become the kind of populist candidate um, uh, that, uh, that frequently succeeds in, in elections in the Philippines. And since she wasn't going to be that candidate um, and, uh, and, and neither of the other major alternatives were as well, that really opened the door for Duterte to, to step into that role very successfully. Yeah, I, I mean, again, drawing analogies to the American politics, here was a candidate who um, who had to go to the Supreme Court to prove that she was eligible to be president. There was a very own Bertha scandal regarding yes. yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there was a, very, a Bertha scandal that in some ways is still not... Uh, well, it's resolved from the point of view of the elections law, but, uh, but there are still sort of questions, right? Um, and, um, and I do think that probably mattered some... Um, but for and contributed to the fact she just couldn't play the populist role that was her clearest path to the to to the election win. I mean, she was also not going to be able to effectively mobilize the whole sort of liberal party Aquino family machine behind her because she wasn't uh, of the party, right? And they had their own candidate that they that they preferred. Now, um, talking of familial dynasties. Um, as we speak, the vice president's uh, uh, election is, is still um, being counted, and it's an exceptionally close race. And at the moment, it looks like uh, Robredo uh, is just going to beat Fernand Marcos Jr., the, the son of uh, the Philippines' uh, former dictator, 
um, to that post. Um, maybe you could say something about how in um, a one of the few democracies in Southeast Asia, um, a candidate ties so closely to the dictatorship era could almost win the vice presidency. Right. Um, well, I think that um, there are a couple of factors. One is um, the fact that, that uh, Bong Bong Marcos did operate by most accounts as a fairly effective local political official um, as, um, at various levels of government over the course of the past decade or so. Um, and so I think that from the point of view of, of a lot of, um, of voters, he has built up um, a reputation enough for himself to, to be able to at least partially stand on his own uh, merits. I do think, though, that the other half of the story is that for a significant chunk of, um, of Filipinos, um, uh, the Marcos family was, um, was never entirely rejected. Right? That there was the people power revolution, but that at the local level, especially in the parts of the country where the family's influence is strongest, um, there was never a wholesale rejection of the Marcos family and its legacy. And in particular, um, as questions of governance, questions of traffic, questions of pollution, questions of um, urban poverty uh, have built and built, um, especially in Metro Manila over the course of the past decade, there has been increasingly a romanticization of the martial law period. Um, and it's really been striking to see, especially around this election, um, the extent to which it's now possible in, uh, in public to make the argument that, sure, martial law went overboard, but there were good sides to it, or there were um, uh, benefits to it, right? Um, and uh, um, and that, that argument can be made unabashedly in public now, and I think that that was an important um, precondition for Marcos's campaign to, uh, to, uh, to have as much success as it did at the national level. And, and if he loses, then presumably that's going to be a major blow for his ambitions to become president in six years' time. One would think so, yeah. Um, although I have, I mean, there's no reason to think that the family will lose its ability um, to, to keep itself in the public eye. Um, but you'd have to think that this would, um, uh, would weaken his, um, his case six years from now. It would also weaken his ability to use the vice presidency to expand his patronage network and to build up loyalty to himself at the national level. Um, so, um, so, so one would think that this is not good news for his presidential ambitions, uh, assuming that he had them. Now, um, just for the point of view of uh, listeners who might know nothing about um, politics in the Philippines, um, the president and vice presidential election um, is a, a, a split ticket um, election. And um, maybe you could say something about how that works in practice. Um, and it, you already alluded to the fact that party politics really doesn't um, play a major role in the country and instead it's personality. So maybe you could put these two things together. Sure. Um, yeah, so it's not as though this is entirely unknown in American history, right? But these days in, in American history, the, the president and the vice president are, are sort of a coherent ticket. Um, that's not at all the case in, in the Philippines. There's direct election independently of the two offices. Um, and, uh, and, and because the, the political parties um, are not particularly strong, um, uh, it's not at all uncommon. It's actually pretty much uh, the expectation that, that there could be a split between the presidency and the vice presidency. Um, so it looks, for instance, like we're going to now have um, the president as a political independent, someone who represents no political party whatsoever, 
um, and a vice president who represents um, the, the sort of inheritors of, of the liberal party tradition. Um, and that that will um, uh, be a relationship that, uh, that has to be worked out over the course of the next uh, years. The vice president has, in addition to just serving it as in a ceremonial role, um, has substantive cabinet responsibilities as well in the Philippines in a way that we don't typically have in the United States. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to um, uh, bring the podcast to an end by, by just saying something about um, some of the more down ticket aspects of the of the elect, of the election. Um, the two most notable results that stand out uh, to me and to many commentators uh, are that on the one hand, um, Filipino boxer Manny Pacquiao has been uh, elected to the Senate um, but equally um, the Philippines has elected its first transgender woman Geraldine Roman to Congress um, seems a very curious uh, dichotomy um, uh, Manny had uh, famously denounced uh, gay marriage and uh, uh, Geraldine and Roman gay people more or less gay people more, yes. <laughs> and Geraldine Roman clearly um, uh, making uh, history uh, with yeah. her election to Congress. Yeah, well, um, so, so Joe Dean's election is an interesting one. It's, um, it is one that's heavily influenced by family dynamics. And so while I think there's no doubt that um, a certain cultural conservatism was probably working um, against that outcome, um, this is a strong political dynasty at the local level um, that is essentially carrying itself forward. Um, and so that's a, a, part, a big part of that story. Not all, not all of it, but that's a big part of it. Um, but yes, the Pac-Man, we were one step closer to, to president, uh, presidential candidate Pac-Man anyway. I don't know what, what, whether his future work will go that far, but he's comfortably um, into the Senate, um, the way that the, the election works. It's a national ballot. Uh, top 12 uh, go through, and he was uh, right in the middle of the pack of those who went through, so it was not close. Um, although it's worth noting that he didn't garner nearly as many votes as some of the sort of professional politicians who, who were farther up the, the results chain. Um, and again, it just it shows the power of personality. Um, uh, Manny is not one who represents the traditional family dynasties, but he's very much in this vein of, of the up from uh, up from the slums uh, kid who who makes it big um, and then transitions directly into uh, uh, politics with that. So, um, so not an unexpected result on that front, um, although one that, uh, that that may have future implications. I think it's there's no reason. To think that he'll stop running for higher office, I would expect that he gives uh, uh, another shot farther up the ladder at some point in time. Okay. Well, um, thanks, Dave, for joining us. Yeah, a no very problem. interesting discussion about uh, the elections in the Philippines uh, that took place uh, um, in the, uh, it took place yesterday. Um, thank you.